So welcome back to the Reach Out podcast. Um, we haven't done one for about two months now. Um, we've had a little bit of time off for Christmas, so we're back 2020. Um, we're starting off with a really good podcast. I hope this is going to be a really good podcast. Um, just before we start, I'm just going to let you know that a, a little bit about Reach. So we're not a crisis team. Uh, Reach are there to help and support where where possible we're not medically trained so we can't give you any medical advice we'd always tell you to go to your doctors your gps first we're there to 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 talk to you to meet to have a coffee to have a look at your lifestyle with you see how we can help you give you some tips if you are ever in need please give the uh, the crisis team a call on 642-860 they're available 24 hours a day seven days a week so please don't hesitate to give them a call so let's get started we're here today with Phil Quirk from PQ Performance. Welcome. Thank you very much. Delighted to have you. I've been trying to get hold of you for a long time, but you keep running back to England or Dubai or Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get around. I do get around. Eh? Um, but but it's great to be here. Absolutely fantastic. Good. I want. I want. I think this one's going to really help people understand what NLP can do for them because I, I know I've sat in with you a couple of times when you've been teaching classes, and I was quite blown away by it. Just the positive effect that it can have on you so let's start by talking about you a little bit about okay. your background where did you start in life so i i mean i grew up in peel to begin with uh i i, I kind of grew up in that era that was probably the last generation that could have a disruptive dysfunctional childhood and then not have it held against you for the rest of your life because because of social media and stuff like that so you know you could get away with stuff in the 90s and then it would be forgotten about forever and I think when I was growing up, I was kind of that that stereotypical, active, sporty. Um, as soon as I found alcohol and girls, that was me with that as well. But still <laughs> playing football, still doing lots of sport. Um, but I was never very academic, and I was never really gonna. Um, I was never really gonna work in an office. Uh, so I didn't know what I was gonna do for for a long time until. Uh, I decided to join the forces. Um, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd been to like Chef's College up at the Alaman College, but I, I lasted like three months up there. As soon as I found out I had to work weekends as a chef, I was like <laughs> tagged out completely. Um, so I, I went away and joined the Marines in 98 uh, and had a, a, an amazing but uneventful career in the Marines. I had six years where I travelled. Um, it was kind of in a little a lull spot, really. Um, I, I left just before it really got uh, quite tasty um and 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 I, and often people ask me you know do you wish you were in when you know when because i didn't really go to afghanistan or Iraq with the marines i i did loads of traveling but the the period that i was in was almost in between northern ireland and in between really iraq really going mad from 2003 2004 onwards yeah. um and i and i don't I, I really don't miss that opportunity the reason being because i lost plenty of friends that you know yeah. never came back or, or came back significantly changed from the experience um but i did do lots of great stuff with the marines and i did get to you know jump out of helicopters slide down ropes and fire guns and, and have all that sort of fun stuff um without necessarily too many people firing back at me yeah. <laughs> um and then i, I left came back to alaman uh, had a few years back here on the island um uh, once again I always think if you're on the Isle of Man and you're kind of not in an office, you know, in payroll or or the gaming sector and things like that, then it's kind of it's not the best, always the best place to be. Um, and I spent three years floating around, um, and then joined the RAF, which really was probably the start of where I am today. Was joining the RAF 
Um, I often say that the Marines kind of forge my character um, with the way they are and, the, and the, 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 the training that you have to go through to get your Green Beret and everything you have to do. But the RAF developed my intellect um, and the RAF you know, spent a huge amount of money allowing me to go and learn about NLP, learn about hypnosis, learn about psychology, learn about transactional analysis, le learn about all of these different things that, that would help me be a better coach in the RAF. Mm -hmm. um, and f from all of that education, I was able to start my own business and come out the other side. And, um, and I haven't really looked back since 2015 since doing that. So how, what's the what's the difference between, you know, you say the Royal Marines. Yeah. Are they like equipped in all aspects? So they, they're like a, all of the forces in one. What is a Royal Marine? Uh, well, first and foremost, amphibious soldier. Um, so so the, the idea of the Marines is they're 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 attached to the Navy, um, and then what they do is then they they would launch all of the kind of beach assaults and uh, they 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 would be very much what we'd call I think it was storm ship to objective maneuver so you kind of you've got all your ships you know across the horizon 10 miles out and then the Royal Marines would come onto the beach with their LCVPs and their LCUs which are kind of like all the different landing craft that they yeah. have um the, the Marines are like a, a mini army in, in and of themselves in in the context that they're completely self-sufficient so if you join the army and and you become a chef, you, you might join the catering branch, or if you're going to be a driver, you, you know you, you go into that part of the army, and then you get attached to you know battalions or whatever. Everyone joins the marines and does the same basic training, the same thirty weeks basic training, and then at the end of there, you know you get all sorts of professions. Mm. So you could be a you know a clerk, um, God forbid. You could be a <laughs> chef. Um, uh, you could be platoon's weapon. You could be what I did, which was LC landing craft. So on the, you know, actually on the landing craft, um, you could do special forces, swimming canoeists, and SBS. So it's kind of like a mini army in and of itself, completely self sufficient. Self sufficient. Wow, so it's completely different to the RAF then. Oh yeah, night and day. It's like comparing the fire brigade and the ambulance service. Oh, you know, they, okay, they both okay. might have blue lights and wear a uniform, but it pretty much ends at that sort of comparison. So obviously, I'm just going off SAS. Who does wins? That's 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 about all I know about the forces. Is that not, I think that's what most people do now, don't they? Because yeah. SAS, who does wins? That is the perception of the military is probably completely skewed by programs like that. Um, I imagine so. Uh, the be, being a soldier is about how much um, when you go on when you go on exercise as a, as a in the Marines or in, in the army or any, any of the soldier and any of the infantry style of, of, of servicemen, it's about dealing with discomfort. It's about dealing with cold. Um, it's about dealing with sleep deprivation. Um, and it's about being, I don't know, having that endurance of body and mind that you can go for days or weeks, you know, in really quite brutal environments. Um, Hollywood and 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 programs don't I don't think always show that side of it. It's, mm. They kind of uh, they they romanticise it a little bit. It, may, it looks really you know like you'd want to do it, um, but when you when you put a hundred pound Bergen on your back, <laughs> and then you feel the weight of that pull, you know the the onto your shoulders and and pull down on your traps and almost like rip your shoulders downwards and then think that you've got this on the back for the next 12 hours and it's cold and it's windy and it's dark and you haven't slept that for, for days 
that that's a very different reality than perhaps the adverts that you see on TV for the Marines <laughs> when they're when they're kind of coming out of the pond. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. That, <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> that's why I imagine when you say Royal Marines, they're coming out of the little in the lake with their guns. Uh, I think that looks so cool to do. But then obviously you've got the background of how they got to that lake and then. Yeah, and, how, co- and, and how, how cold on. how cold that lake yeah. is. It doesn't look cold on TV, does it? But no, no, it actually looks quite fresh. Yeah. Look, they're just getting out like it's nothing. W- Woodbury Common in January, when you're coming out of you know Peter's Pool, or not Peter's, not Peter's Pool. It's uh, is it this? I can't remember the shoot dip. It's obviously twenty odd years ago when I was there, and, and it's just freezing, and it's and it's so cold, it's just horrendous. And then and then. You do you do something called wet and dry in the in as a soldier. Uh, most people that have never done soldier and have never heard of wet and dry. Anyone that's been in the army, the paras, the marines, anything like that, the moment you say wet and dry, they know exactly what it is. You you got two sets of clothes basically. Hmm. Um, one set which is always wet, which you wear outside of your sleeping bag whenever you're awake, and then one set which is always dry, and you've got to keep it dry. You know, it's, it gets waterproofed. And you put that on to get in your sleeping bag. And the reason being, if you don't, and you get in your sleeping bag with your wet clothes, and then you put your sleeping bag around you, you'll get hypothermia pretty much straight away. Um, So you've got to keep one set dry all the time. And the only place it can stay dry is underneath your poncho inside your sleeping bag because it's all waterproofed. So when imagine getting up at three in the morning and you've only been asleep for like an hour and a half maximum and someone wakes you up because it's your turn to go on sentry. (laughs) And, And you know you've got to get out of this warm dry sleeping bag with your with your dry, dry kit, kit on go into your bergen pull out your wet stuff which might have frosted over because it's oh, that cold man. take your dry kit off be shivering and gibbering away you know trying to take this off and then the noise of a grown man putting on frosted over combat trousers is hilarious it's oh. hilarious the noise that you make is just <laughs> i couldn't even imagine how having to put w- wet clothes on yeah yeah that that is a reality of soldiering that is what happens really well then uh, let's hope they're not listening to this because they're not going to want to go and get a job now are they i know i'm a terrible <laughs> <laughs> you just <laughs> the marine if anyone from the marines like the uh, their advertising campaign would be listening to this with their head and hands but that that is what it's truly like it's, it's it is it's unimaginable it is. I, I i couldn't imagine it i i always i've been fascinated by the different different aspects of it and and obviously i've got grandparents that served that kind of thing yeah yeah i've never looked at it as a career as such i just thought what what mindset do you have to be in to to become a soldier like it it's a it's different mindset to what normal people have surely i i don't know i mean i think someone's going to shoot at you you don't join thinking that though i didn't join the marines thinking that someone's going to shoot at me you 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 join because the chance to travel uh you join you know to, to be a royal marine you know you think well it's to wear that green beret you know to do that 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 intense training which is there's no doubt about it. Limston is a brutal place, and it is not easy. And and nor should it be. It should be as hard as woodpecker lips to pass the course, because that's you know <laughs> at the end of it, you know what you want to be producing is is soldiers that can go and perform in any condition, in any environment, under any situation around the world. So it is it is very hard, and you, you join for that. Uh, the mm. the brotherhood, the camaraderie between soldiers is is unrivaled. I, I mean having been in two different services in two different periods of my life and also spent a lot of time outside of the military there is no brotherhood like the military um you yeah. know the, the 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 bonds that you develop um whether it's raw marines parachute regiment army raf navy that it's all the same the bonds that you develop with the people that you work around are unbreakable for life 
Um, so I think that's what people join for. They don't necessarily join with the thought that you know someone's going to shoot at me at some point. Well, that's the, that's the first thing that comes into my head. Someone says you're going to go to the military. I think, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't mind shooting a gun. Like, give me a gun, I'd shoot one. But just don't I, shoot back. Just don't shoot back. Like, maybe maybe that's why not. I joined and you didn't because well, I, yeah. I wasn't thinking about people shooting at me. So well, I was like, <laughs> and I hope I hope the military now don't think that either. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I can't get my head around it. And like I say, I'm just going off SAS. We we do, it's and different, we, isn't it? We live in a different time now as well. Yeah. When I joined, so I joined the Marines in '98. Ireland was quietening down significantly. It was obviously three years before 9/11. All of the stuff that the world that we live in now didn't exist then. Yeah. So then joining the military was about traveling the world. There wasn't so many conflicts that were kind of happening all over. And obviously 9/11 was a game changer. Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan. You know, the operational tempo went through the roof. So. People joining the Marines in 2008 or 2006, as opposed to when I joined 10 years before, they would have known that they were joining and having seen, you know, yeah. God forbid, coffins come home through yeah. uh, and Bassett and stuff like that. So they would have known that that's potentially where they were going. Um, for, for my generation, I don't think that was the case. Um, as I say, it was a, it was a quiet time unusually now when we look at the world today yeah that that's probably where my my mindset is different to yours because i'm from this modern day where you, you sort of know you're going to go to war somewhere yeah yeah because it's happening all over the place yeah whereas like you say it probably wasn't happening back then yeah. so i can understand why why you joined i suppose and it obviously brings you to to what you do now and and you learn all all of this through the raf well, I think it started in the Marines because I think the Marines is much more about mindset than 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 what you can do physically. Like like most people know this, that your 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 mind will give up way before your body. And I think that what I learned at Limston was I learned that firsthand. So I didn't know at the time that I was going to do what I do now. But as I reflect back from the position I'm in now, I can think back to what I've seen at Limston. You know, people giving up that were physically very strong, but perhaps for whatever yeah. reason, mentally they'd they'd succumbed to the pressure of, of Limston. So the RAF educated that and it put labels on it and it was it gave me the ability to understand what I'd seen already. But that process had begun at Limston, no doubt about it. Um, uh, there was there was so many when I went to Limston I had a huge amount of imposter syndrome. You know, I was I was a I was a skinny boy from Peel in Alaman, this tiny little fishing <laughs> village. And s- suddenly I'm at Limston where they trained the Royal Marine Commandos and there were there were lads there from London, from Manchester, from Glasgow, and they all looked more confident than me. They were all you know, they were all more assured. They were they 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 just seemed in a completely different world than perhaps the world I'd grown up with where, you know, Peel is this, you know, even in the context of the Isle of Man, is small compared yeah. to like Ramsey and Douglas. Yeah. And, um, so I was kind of looking at these other guys that seemed more confident and seemed physically stronger and they were giving up. And I was looking at them and I was thinking, well, you know, I'm, I was, I was, it wasn't that I was finding it easy. I was really struggling. It was very hard, but I couldn't understand why these other guys that were much more confident and much more physically capable than me you know, were banging in and giving up and, can, you know, they were kind of reaching a certain point in training where they couldn't get past it and then that'd be it, then they'd tap out. And, and slowly but surely, this, like, attritional um, loss of guys all around. Uh, and it never occurred to me at any point that I was going to get to the end. And, and I always say this to people, I never really ex- thought that I'd pass. <laughs> I kind of went down there 
thinking if I get to week 10 I'll be happy and then I got to week 10 and if I got to 15 I'll be happy and I, I if I was to be honest with people and look them eye to eye I never really thought I was going to pass it all <laughs> um it was like one it was almost like I was expecting at any point someone to turn around and go you don't what are you doing here yeah, you know yeah. are you from Peel in the Isle of Man <laughs> go on get back go go back on the boat would you have come back would you have come back when you left in that mindset would you have come back and thought right people can be proud of me now because I went and attempted it if I'm honest with you, Hudge, joining and passing uh, the Marines was the best and worst thing that happened. Um, because I had so much imposter syndrome, I overcompensated when I came out the other side. Oh, so okay, I, okay. I'd be back home in Peel, and I'd 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 be a nightmare. I'd be fighting, fighting, giving it Barry big bananas. Yeah. You know, overcompensating for my perhaps my lack of confidence by yeah. being, you know, bolshy and like in people's face. And and I almost the pendulum swung too far the other way. It didn't it didn't sit in the balance bit in the minute at the middle, you know, of just being comfortable in your own skin. So I, whilst I was in, in Limston or whilst I was in my unit, I'd be really underconfident because I'd be surrounded by all these big massive marines. Yeah. When I'd come back to Isle of Man, I'd give it Barry Big Bananas <laughs> when I was four pints of four pints of coal in the white and I'd be like, <laughs> what are you looking at me? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I look back now and it's ridiculous, but it was definitely something that you know everything that you do in life shapes the way you become and it shapes the character that you become and i, I look back now and i think I, I wish i could not have done those things but then at the same time that's part of the process of life of yeah, of course of, of learning you know and and but i think part of the reason why i did pass was the thought that i couldn't come back to peel because if i came back and i and i hadn't passed what would you know I, I just what would you do go slot straight back into where you had done before you've gone away so I was almost like holding myself in the race to get to the end of training as a commando for the fear of coming back to the life that I'd left behind mm. and then just going straight back to where I was um, uh, yeah I understand that so it was I suppose a little bit like Cav, wasn't it? You know, Cav yeah. the cyclone came out, worked in the bank. He's like, I have, got, I've got to make it as got a professional cyclist yeah. because I, I cannot work in the bank. Yeah, um, you see it in a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, I'd, yeah. but going to the obviously, going to putting yourself in that environment to take yourself away from this environment. That's a that's a massive change. It's not like it's not like moving to England and just getting yourself a, a job. You're throwing yourself into one of the toughest. You know forces in the world yeah if i kn if i knew what was coming i probably wouldn't have been able to do it it was ignorance oh, okay, was, okay, yeah. and i mean I, I tell you a great story this is this is the truth when i went away i'd never been abroad till i joined the marines my first ever time away was when i went to america training american marines so i'd, ne I'd never been abroad i never had a passport the only time i'd ever i'd been on one holiday to pontons uh, when i was a kid and I'd been away with the school once or twice, and then I'd been away with Western AC to run at, you know, like Sail Harriers. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. All on the boat. I'd never been on a plane till I went to join the Marines. Wow. So the first time I'd ever been on a plane on my own, I was going off to do the pre selection. And I'd never been on a train either. <laughs> this is, and I got my, uh, my letter from the Marines, which was basically all my travel arrangements and, you know, my plane ticket and whatnot. And obviously, I got to London, I flew to London, I got the train down to uh, Exeter and then Exeter down to Limston. And I didn't realise that I had to take this piece of paper that the Marines had sent me and exchange it for my actual train tickets. <laughs> I thought I just took this piece of paper with me. <laughs> so I'm on this packed train going to Exeter and in the middle of summer, boiling hot, packed train, nowhere to sit. I'd never been on a train in my life, <laughs> except for the one that goes from Douglas. <laughs> 
and the, the conductor comes around and says, tickets please and I gave him my piece of paper and I never forget he, the, the look he, he just looked at me as like this special boy from the Isle of Man that didn't know how to work a train and, and, and I, I kind of like was you know when you're sweating profusely yeah. and I was like I don't know I thought that you just give this and he's like no you need to change this for your ticket this is not valid it's not a, this isn't a ticket this is a this is a travel warrant from the military and I was like oh, what do I do and he goes don't worry about it just let you off of it yeah I just told him I was from Peel in the Isle of Man he's like yeah I get it I get it <laughs> oh because he knows <laughs> no, no I'm joking <laughs> but yeah so it's um different different yeah it was different um but it led me to where i am now so yeah. which is perfect shape yeah you can see that as well though you, and and as, like even even sitting with you outside of this room you can like you you're a very common influence and i think that's because of maybe the, the life that you've had like you're saying obviously going away and throwing yourself in the deep end mm. you know being very shy say in, yeah. in that environment and then coming back over here and being the big guy and like not knowing yourself i think you find yourself well you, you seem like a very content guy at the minute yeah i mean I, the the life i have now you know that i get i my my business is and i'm I'm gonna say this because what i do but my business is the the best business in the whole world i get to help lots of people um and and i get to make a living for myself doing something that i absolutely love mm-hmm. um but probably more importantly than that you know some of the people that i've worked with and some of the people that i've coached and helped seeing what you know the challenges that they've overcome and how they've now gone on to you know do all sorts of things there, there isn't really anything that i can think of with a greater reward than that um except for maybe maybe if you work in the medical profession and you, you know you really help someone that's hurt themselves yeah i can see there's would be huge reward in that but but transactionally, what I get is, I get to live a really good life. I get to travel around, all pretty much all over the world, which is amazing. Doing a job that I absolutely love doing and helping people while getting paid. So it's it, there isn't really any downside. It doesn't really f- ever feel like work. Yeah, no, I I, I completely understand because I I get that sort of feeling as well. Yeah, I, I mean sitting opposite someone that's, you know, in a in a place like say in a hole. Yeah, and just working out their lifestyle and helping them move forward and then seeing them a few weeks later when they've implemented it yeah and they come and sit down and they have a smile on their face that you you can't buy that yeah i really don't and i can imagine from your from your side of it you know it's huge for yourself as well yep yeah yeah and, and it's that you'll have seen it yourself that that eureka moment where someone just yeah. their eyes light up and they yeah. realize oh, i just need to do this and this yeah and and then they exactly. go and do it and then they come back and then they say do you know what you know i'm, I'm on it you know i feel great um and, and to be part of that process is is priceless, um, and it's very. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced it yourself. It's very addictive as well, you know, yeah. because you you do really want to help hit, everyone. Um, and w- sometimes I often actually think <clears throat> more about the people I haven't been able to help yeah. more than the people that I have. And the, and the the balance of scales is is like is unbelievable. It's like ten to one of people I can help. To those i can't but then you kind of focus on the ones that you can't because you do want to help the nature of this is you want to help everyone yeah of course um uh, but sometimes it just doesn't happen that way i think it's going to be more hopefully when this comes out and and obviously people learn a lot more about you yeah i hope that you help i think you can help a lot more a lot more people when they when they when they start to understand 
what NLP is. Yeah. And obviously, it like we're sat here, I, I understand NLP slightly because I've, I've sat with you a few times yep. in your classes, but most people on listening to this are not going to know what NLP is. So yep. I don't know, you take it away and, and explain what NLP actually is and what it does. N- NLP, all, all NLP is, is copying other bodies of knowledge. Um, uh, the... It, it was created it wasn't even created because it, it can't be created it was it was codified i suppose is the way to describe it um by a professor of linguistics called john grinder um and a, and a mathematician and a computer programmer called richard bandler um and they, these guys were, were not from psychology per se they weren't studying psychology as such but they were in that world of psychology and it was it was kind of like coming out of the 1960s into the 70s you had something called the human potential movement you had the explosion of the of, of hippies of really 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 intelligent bright young people at university you know that perhaps were experimenting with psychedelic drugs and going off in all sorts of different directions and probably probably taking things to the outer limits of their boundaries um and what bandler and grinder did is they looked at psychology and they kind of said well why is it that you know that, that some people get amazing results some people get you know intermediate results and some people don't seem to get any results and they did a process of modeling where they studied really really amazing therapists predominantly th- three people were the three main protagonists that that they modeled to formulate everything that came in NLP Milton Erickson from hypnosis uh, Virginia Satir who is a group family therapist and a counsel uh, a social worker and Fritz Perls, who was the, he, he came up with Gestalt therapy um, and was a German therapist. The, these three people, for whatever reason, just seem to get unbelievable results. They seem to be, you know, the the very top of their individual games. And what what they did is they studied what they did, and they they made it into process. So they took kind of the more ambiguous, untouchable talents that that person is just really talented. They get really great results, and they said, well, that's that's how do we replicate talent it's really hard because it's such a abstract concept well why don't we just study what they do break it down into stages these stages we can you know make into a process and then when we've got the process we just replicate the process and then if we do the same thing as what they're doing then we'll obviously get the same result so all of the academic stuff from nlp is held in it in the parent bodies of where it came from and where it's studied so Ericsson with hypnosis, Gestalt therapy, and group group family therapy as examples. Um, now, what NLP did different to perhaps anything else that had been done before, it enabled non-academic people, so dare I say it, laymans, like myself, I, I can't class that, the ability to go and learn about the mind, learn about why people do what they do, learn a little bit about the nervous system, learn a little bit about language and how it plays such an important role, and learn you know, some really interesting techniques that can help. Um, it doesn't make people that study NLP psychologists or psychotherapists. Um, I'm really fortunate with my business that I have academic guys that are attached. Um, I have two doctors that work for us in London. That are, One's a psychologist, one's a psychotherapist. Um, and they kind of underpin a lot of what we use with our coaching. If I'm unsure of something, I go to Dr. Philip, who's, who's a psychotherapist, and say, I'm, I'm, this is what we're looking at doing, this is how we're going to use it in coaching, um, and then he kind of provides the academic underpinning. But I think what NLP did for the first time is it enabled people just to go on a one-week course um, and learn a little bit. Um, it, it, I always caution people that I teach, it, it doesn't mean you become a psychologist or, or anything like that, 
it just means you have an understanding of how the mind works a little bit um where i think nlp is most effective is in coaching my that's my personal opinion and that's what i teach when i when i teach it um it's a it's an amazing um it's an amazing thing to add on to any coach whether you be a technical coach or performance coach the an nlp course will enrich and enable you to be able to do what you do much more effectively in in my opinion and in my experience having done it for 12 years now um and it's it's fascinating body of knowledge um it really is interesting is probably an, an understatement of, of what what you find with it just the same as hypnosis is once again fascinating so what tools will will nlp give me as a coach it'll help you understand the importance of language um La- in what in what in what way do you mean language like the way somebody talks well the, the, there's two types there's two planes of language to understand there's what you use inside your mind so your internal dialogue and then there's also the way you use language externally when you're in communication with other other people um one of the things that i often say to people is la- language doesn't describe the world you live in it determines the world you live in so the way you use language orientates the way your brain absorbs its reality so so if if I use an example, you probably know someone that 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 never that would say describe themselves as being very unlucky. Nothing good ever happens to me. Yeah. And guess what? Nothing good ever happens to them. Yeah. And then and then you probably know someone as well that you know is absolutely you know the most lucky person in the world. Almost like bathed in four leaf clovers. You know, <laughs> enters a lottery and wins a lottery on one one occasion. The actual reality is that neither of those two people probably experience good or bad luck any more than each other the only difference is that that one one of those one of those people they only remember the times they're unlucky and they forget the times they're lucky the other person only remembers the times they're lucky and forgets the times they're not lucky so their language the way they describe their world the way they describe how their existence is it doesn't describe it it determines it because the person that thinks they're lucky will remember the times they're lucky and then they'll tell people they're lucky and then whenever they're lucky they'll remember that and it'll be a perpetuating belief system just and it can go either way yeah so when i coach people and when i teach people i i i I really do caution them on how they use language um if you wake up in the morning and you say this is going to be a terrible day enough your brain is going to notice all the things that supports that belief that 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 concept this day is going to be terrible um when i i used to work at Battleback at Lillyshaw, which is an incredible place. <clears throat> so Battleback is funded by uh, the Royal British Legion. It's a, it's a four million pound centre at Lillyshaw, um, and it, all the coaches, like for instance myself, w- what we are is we're coaches that are seconded by Kanuji Great Outdoors, which is a part of Leeds Beckett University. Mm. Um, so basically, I used to work for Leeds Beckett University as a coach, uh, seconded out to Battleback. Um, We'd have uh, psychologists attached to us and they'd evaluate all of the coaching. And what we used to do is work with what we call WIZ in the military. So wounded, injured and sick servicemen. Um, when I first started at Battleback, a lot of it was physical injury. Um, as I'm sure you can imagine, it was people yeah. coming back with missing limbs. You know, the, some of the injuries that I'd seen while I was coaching there were absolutely hor- horrendous to, to, to see anyone that could go through that injury. Um, but what happened over the period I was there was that the physical injury started to subside and it became much more the mental side of what the operational tempo we'd had in Afghanistan and Iraq. So it was much more about um, 
PTSD was obviously very prevalent. Anxiety was very prevalent. Um, uh, agoraphobia, uh, you know, there was there was a huge amount of things, and often they were all uh, the mental trauma of what's happened, the sort of consequence of the of the really high tempo. Now, one of the models we used to teach the guys was about something in your brain called your RAS, your reticular activating system, part of the reticular formation. So you, the way I explain RAS is it's effectively like Google search engine in your brain. So if you if you it's, if you search for things in Google, it creates a browser history. And then what happens with that browser history? You start to get pop-up notifications all around your laptop. You know, so face, yeah. if you start looking at new curtains on 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 Google, then as, as everyone knows, on your Facebook, you start to get advertised for new curtains, and you're thinking, oh "My God, is scary, does, isn't it? Does, does Facebook know what I'm thinking?" <laughs> but really, it's because your browser history is full of these searches and in it to a certain extent it's not it's not completely true but it's a good analogy your brain works very similarly in the context that whatever you search for creates a browser history this is why if you decide to buy a new car um, and then you 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 go and look at like uh, lots of different models and then you sign you decide that you're going to buy a new volkswagen golf a black golf um uh, and then you do your research on it you go and test drive one and then what happens is you're driving around as well you see one. You start seeing these golfs yeah, everywhere. Man, that's so true. So what what's happening with your RAS? Because your RAS is full of searches for these golfs, because your your browser history is full of this, then what happens is your brain discounts the other cars, so it ignores them. But whenever it's a black golf, it's drawn to it and it says, look, there's a golf. And then that supports your belief system. So if you think about that, if you had really, you know, quite negative thoughts... Um, and you were thinking really negative things like some of these guys that come to battle back you know their browser history is full of terrible searches yeah. then what's going to happen is they're going to their brain's going to find the evidence to support those searches mm -hmm. it'll notice things that support that and then that will perpetuate and strengthen the belief that their searches are correct when actually all that's happening is the way that they're thinking that all of the browser history in their brain is alerting their senses to notice things. It's just like black golfs. Um, so, so what we what we used to do with the guys at Battlebeck is we used to teach them about this RAS and how important it is to pay attention to what you're thinking and what you're reflecting in your mind, and start practicing gratitude. The reason why gratitude is so good for starting to develop your mindset is because if you do, if you're looking at two or three things to be grateful for each day, what's going to happen in your brain? once you know that you're going to have to the next morning do a little gratitude log where you need to be grateful for three new things because obviously to begin with it it'd be easy you know you do your family you do yeah, your possessions yeah, but after a few days you're like oh my god I'm running out of things especially <laughs> British people I'm running out of things to be grateful <laughs> yeah. for but if you start looking for things to be grateful what's going to happen with your browser history is going to be full of those searches and then what's going to happen with your RAS is your RAS is going to be alert to things to be grateful for so if something little happens in your day that perhaps you would have not paid attention to your brain goes oh that's great I, I can remember that for my log to be grateful for and slowly but surely your RAS starts to reprogram itself with all these positive thinking and then slowly but surely over time your brain just naturally scans for black golfs or positive things to be grateful for it's just about understanding the black golf analogy wow that's the, literally just blown my mind a little bit because it's so true i've i've I do it all the time. I, I I think about something and then I will spot them everywhere or like I see a person and I'll think about that person and then the next day I see the same person. I'm like, 
haven't seen you in years. How am I st- like yeah. seeing you again? Yeah. But it is picking that one person out of the crowd. Yeah. It's the same as your name. You know, that's why when you hear your name in a conversation in a pub, uh, and then you don't hear any other word in the conversation oh, that's yeah. happening. Yeah. You know, you, your Raz is programmed by all your senses. You know, and because your name is so heavily ingrained into your Raz, as soon as you hear your name over on the other side of the, you know, y- your ears prick up and you kind of, oh, you know, my my ears on fire, and it, and all it is is just all the other words are just deleted. They're not your brain's not paying attention to that, but it picks out that. So it's about understanding how your brain can be to a certain extent programmed to focus on positive stuff um and that, and that doesn't mean you have a great day every day and and i think it's really important that 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 people always understand that not no one strategy technique or or approach will ever prevent you from having a bad day at the office you know having a big argument with a friend or but it's about preparing your mind so it's in the best possible shape so whenever you have these bad days, they just become a bad day that can be immediately wiped away, put, put to one side, as opposed to them being catastrophic when your mind sets in that kind of negative spiral. You have that one bad day, which then becomes a catastrophic, and then it, it, then it sets off a spiral of days and days and days where things aren't great. Man, I, I, I see it so often, so often, with people that are in that negative hole that, that really can't think positively. Yeah. Um, and it obviously I don't know much about NLP so I try and just be as positive as possible towards them but now you talk about your eyes that wow like that is that it, like scientific the your like your eyes you, you, you can yeah, see it like it's, it's a, yeah it's, it's a scientific part of your brain the re- yeah. reticular activating system so it's it's kind of like as all the information comes into your brain via your five senses, it kind of goes into the RAS. Okay. And then from the RAS, then it's disseminated out to the cortex, yeah. where the cortex then makes sense of everything and starts looking at your behavior and language. But obviously, there's, a, there's so much information that's, that's happening in every, every moment that your RAS can only really send out the information that's important. Mm-hmm. So, so it will send out information to the cortex that it thinks relevant based on all of your thinking and the way you think and the way your brain is, is configured. So, so it's 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 an actual but it's like it's like a pencil sort of shape it is it's maybe the size of a finger um and it and it sort of connects to sort of the spine so it's the older part of the brain you know at the top of the spine and it, and then it's part of like the bigger which is the reticular formation and it and it's an information sort it's like a post box the post office all the information's coming in and then it's sorted and then sent out to the different parts of the brain um but you know one of the, the and and uh, you know what I'd say to people like listen to this podcast you you can go onto YouTube and watch great little YouTube videos about Raz you know the cartoon ones where you know people explain how it works you know people that say I'm always late I'm always late you know because they almost make self fulfilling prophecies because <laughs> the brain creates the reality that they're going to be late um, uh, and I think that certainly because I'm not an academic so I'm and I never pretend to be so I'm not you know a psychologist or a psychotherapist. I'm a, I'm a coach and I coach people. What I what I love about um, the things that I can teach people is it's about making things applicable that they can take into their real life. So you can kind of give someone a whole textbook of theory, but if it's not relevant to them and if they can't make it relevant to their life, then that whole textbook's a waste of time. Yeah. So you, the reason why I often you know teach things and metaphors and analogies, you know, I teach Raz is like Google. 
because people can identify with Google. They can understand, oh, I know about search. I know about uh, a browser history. I know about pop-ups that come up on my social media. Is it strictly scientifically correct? Not necessarily, but it's very, very close. And it yeah. does work in that way, but it makes it real to the person. Um, so I think that the, the pursuit of everyone that teaches is to be able to give people information which is real to them in their life. Yeah. And if you can do that, then that's when people really can take stuff away and then make it real to them in there and, and make it think. A, a great example is gratitude. You know, people often talk about gratitude, but I always think that if you can give people the science behind why it works, you know, that everyone kind of knows that gratitude is a good thing to do. You know, it's a good thing to practice gratitude. If not just for the reason that uh, the state of being grateful is a very positive state. If you think about all the times you've been really grateful in your life, it's a very positive state for a person to be in. So just by practicing paying attention to what you're grateful for and then getting into that state, getting into that feeling of gratitude is a hugely positive thing. But as most people know, the problem with the world is not information, it's implementation. And, and actually, when you teach people why it's good as opposed to it's just good the implementation of the information happens much more readily then because they know why what they're going to get from it they know the benefit of doing it as opposed to just knowing it's going to be good and not nothing else it's like when people say have a positive mental attitude You're like well that's great can you tell me some more can you yeah, give yeah. me a bit of you know what do i need to do oh you know just have a pma you know positive mental attitude think positively God, it annoys me that uh, yeah it's it, so hard to snap out if you are in in that bad place yes it's so hard to just snap your fingers and say i'm going to be positive today yeah well it's like saying to a fish that's out of water just you know visualize the sea and you'll be okay <laughs> the fish is yeah, like yeah. still no, no. not breathing though no no yeah exactly so so, so that's so that's that's how you teach predominantly yeah i i or coach i yeah I, the i'd like to take science so while i'd like to do my research and like I said, you know, we've got the academic team that work with us. Um, but what I want to do is I want to take the academic side, but I, I, I like I, it's got to be made real to a person. Mm -hmm. It's got to be it's got to be presented to them in a way that they can go, ah, I totally get that that works for me. The same as what you did before when you're yeah. like, I can totally see that I do that. And that now that I know why that works, I can now understand the process. Um, so it's 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 about condensing down academic reality into a way that a person can make it their personal reality um it, most people have read took an academic book what you know whether it be psychology whether it be business you know you can name any academic study and you read two pages of the book and you know all of the words but you're like i don't really know what's being said there you know and then you go back and you start again you go i, st I still don't know no. so if that's what a person's hearing when you're teaching them then it's a waste of time isn't it absolutely it doesn't work so you've got to translate that into a way that a person go i get it i get that so it was always it it's it's not something that you don't already know yes it, it, but you're put you're putting it in a way that makes you understand what it can do for you yes yeah yeah wow that's huge you know I, and i didn't even i didn't even understand that part of it obviously the gratitude side i you know, I've read books that say, you know, try and think of positive things like mantras and things like that in the morning. And I, but I never understood why I was doing it. Yep. So I just stopped doing it. And I just thought, it's not really doing anything for me. Yeah, fair enough. It was making me feel good for five minutes. And yep. 
but but why am I doing this for the long run? Yeah, yeah. But now you've just explained Google search and everything. Like, if I keep putting negative things in my mind, then them negative things are going to be always there, and, and yep. that's all I'm going to think about. Yeah, that and, makes complete sense. And then if you if you think about um, so think if we stay on the analogy of your Google search engine and your browser history, if you've got three positive things in there, which are your like what you've done in the morning, but then the rest of the day is full of negative searches. Of course, everything that you're going to get shown is going to be, you know, the stuff you don't want because because it's, the browser history is going to be overwhelmingly biased in one direction. So it's about um, understanding, you know, it's a, it's not, it's, nothing in nature is a digital one or a zero. So you can't just flick from one to the other. You can't go from being, you know, like you've had your struggles with anxiety. You can't just go right. I'm 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 going from anxiety to not anxiety. Yeah. There's no such thing as like a switch that switches on and off. Everything's analog. Everything's about doing lots of positive things, lots of, lots and lots of things that over time, that that turn that dial, that analog dial, the other way. They send it, you know, into a positive direction as opposed to perhaps a not positive direction. So, so there's, there's no magic bullets. Um, and lots of the things that I think that help a mindset is really important. I always think it's really important for people to understand is that a lot of them are really common sense things that people don't realize you know that the simple strategies can have a huge effect on the way your mind works um food what food you're eating how much alcohol you're drinking how much stress you're under and how much sleep you're getting four yeah. questions you can ask yourself and if you're really struggling you can you can probably guarantee that all four of those areas are not not positive mm-hmm. not getting good enough sleep um perhaps drinking too much alcohol um, stressed at work and whenever you're stressed you you're you make poor crap. you make poor dietary choices yeah um so you so that becomes like a, a a spiral that just keeps going down and down and down the more tired you are the more coffee you drink and the more alcohol you have at night to get to sleep then you're stressed in work and then you're fuzzy you make terrible food choices because you're so tired and you can't prep you know really good food very simple strategies that can have a profound effect is just Looking at the diet, looking at sleep, um, looking at your stress levels, um, and just making small incremental changes, and focusing on what you're actually thinking about. Yes, you know when you say gratitude, <clears throat> does that go for giving gratitude as well? Does that have the same effect? In what in what context? What you think? So if if I was to if I was to text you tomorrow morning and say, "Thanks a lot, Phil, for doing the podcast. That was really great work. You know, I really appreciate that you've done it." to start your day yeah because i think what, what we're looking at is 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 chemicals and hormones in the brains neurotransmitters you know and, and and dopamine is kind of that wonderful pleasure reward hormone that we get it's also what you know the all the social media sites and the phone companies realize that your person gets when they get notifications yeah you know you get your little spike of dopamine which makes you feel good and it's that pleasure reward hormone you want to you want to get another one yeah um and w- when 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 you do things like that so that kind of deliberate act of kindness you know just saying to someone oh i really appreciate you know you coming and giving your time it's fantastic it's been an hour you feel good for it and the reason why you feel good for it is because you get a little bit that dopamine hit you get that little flush of dopamine now now dopamine's an amazing neurotransmitter in the brain it switches on the learning receptors it puts your brain into a positive mode as opposed to like neutral or negative um and it has huge amounts of benefits. It's obviously the basis of addiction as well, so it's important yeah. to understand that. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think 
doing things like that, it, it, it gives you that little dopamine flush. Like, for instance, one of the courses that we run, um, uh, I, I, it's a, a colleague of mine called Dean Bellman, who's a former Hercules pilot from the RAF, and he wrote a course called uh, The Adventures Within. Um, and it's a positive psychology course, effectively. He's done a lot of work with Sean Aker. Sean Aker is really famous for... Uh, it's, it's one of the top 10 TED Talks, The Happiness Advantage. Um, Harvard positive psychologist Sean Aker. Now... One of the things, the first thing we do on the course is we get people to take out their phones because obviously phones are traditionally what's stigmatized as a negative thing, the addiction of them. And, you know, we're creating a, a zombie apocalypse of people that are walking around with their heads down, <laughs> bumping, into, <laughs> bumping into stuff. But what we do is we get them to take the phone out, go through their pictures um, find a picture that really means something to them, something that was really good, and then and then share it with as many people in the room as possible. And to begin with, it's it's really difficult. People don't want to do it because we're kind of guarded. We've we've created that culture where we you know what well, I'm going to show my my pictures. But then what happens in every course that I've delivered with Dean is once you kind of get over that initial hurdle of not wanting to share your picture, you can feel the energy levels in the room just go through the roof. You can hear people laughing. The, the The volume goes up as people are starting to share. And when you sit down and you say to everyone, well, how do you feel? And everyone's like, I feel really good. And the reason for that is because if I've got a picture, you know, perhaps it's me and my two daughters, um, and then I, I show you and then I, I explain to you where we were, what we were doing, what happens is my brain starts to relive that moment. I start to access the memory of that to go with the picture so I can bring it to life in my explanation when I do that, I get this big flush of dopamine in my brain because I'm reliving a really positive memory via my phone. Um, and actually, wow. when I share it with you, we kind of have this conversation and then you do the same with your picture. We both end up in this kind of dopamine positive state where we feel really good. Uh, and all we've done is took a photograph to emulate how easy it is to get your brain into a positive state. Wow. You, you blow my mind here. Literally. <laughs> I, I really I really hope this comes across to the to the listeners as well because this is I'm it's taking me back a little bit because it there's things that I know in my mind that yeah. work like you just said uh, about the picture I, I I can see myself doing it I do it with the lads yeah like for instance say uh, my mate and his his daughter when he shows me a picture of his daughter the smile on his face makes me happy yep, yep. I like he and then he tells me about her and one hundred percent. And we've got those amazing mirror neurons in our brain, haven't we? So when you're smiling away, I'm reciprocating the smile because I'm matching you with my mirror neurons. And you know, it's it's when when you're when you're with someone that's in a really positive um, state, you know, and they're really happy. It, it, it very much just rubs straight off on you, doesn't it? And the same yeah. ne- ne- negative as well. You know, when you, there's a, a thing that we used to talk about uh, um, a battle pack called compassion fatigue or transference which which i imagine you might have already come across without having a label for it and that's that theory that when you sit with someone and they're perhaps in not in a good way and they're, they're struggling and you sit and you do a load of coaching and you give them a huge amount of your energy when you walk away you know you are absolutely chin strapped um because 100 because you've got this compassion fatigue where you're giving all of your positive energy trying to uplift them and once they walk away you're kind of um, and one of the things we used to find at Battleback was that on the first day on Monday, the, the guys would be really defensive, like they'd, they'd be head down, arms folded, legs folded, looking down at the ground. And, you know, if you're out front, it can be quite lonely because you're 
talking to this group of 20 military guys and you ask a question and then it's like tumbleweed rolls across <laughs> and you've got to persevere with it you know you, you yeah. know you, you can't you can't let that affect the way you're delivering and you keep going and you keep going and then we get them out we take them climbing and they have a few experiences which then it starts to get dopamine in their brain they start to talk to each other they start to open up tuesday wednesday thursday they've completely bonded as a group yeah friday they're high-fiving and hugging <laughs> and they set off on a real high you know from just that five day four or five days but then the instructors you drive home and then you know you've got heart fm on and, and whitney comes on and suddenly you've got wind the window <laughs> down because you you know you're, you're leaking at the, at the corners of your eyes listening to like a soppy song and the reason for that is because you've just given so much of your energy through the week, mm. you're just completely shattered and you get home and you you can hardly have a conversation at the end of it. Yeah, it makes a lot a lot of sense. And I, obviously I've spoke to you in the past and, and you said you went for a period of, you know, you, you might have burned yourself out a little bit. Yeah. Is, is that due to, to that side of it as well? Or yeah, well, I mean, that was about two years ago and... I, I thought that you know you you can't get burnout doing something you love. Yeah. I thought that you burnout and I and the the kind of ironic thing was I teach it as well, so it's kind of yeah. awkward, isn't it? Well, yeah. Um, but I I always thought that burnout was something that you got you know from being slaughtered at the corporate front of a you know like doing fifteen hour days, um, you know, in the corporate environment in the office, you know, till ten o'clock at night. And then back in the next day, and then too much of that attritionally, and you end up getting burnout. Makes absolute sense. Or from a, from a sporting perspective, just completely overtraining of an athlete, which is something that I've seen myself with some of the athletes that I've coached. So I always thought that burnout was, you know, in those sort of areas, either completely physically slaughtered, or you know, doing something, doing something that um, a job that is just required of you to make absolute energy sacrifices. What what was amazing was I got burnout from doing something I absolutely love, um, and and that was teaching, and I was teaching at Lillyshall. I had two courses back to back, which was ambitious anyway. So when I teach, I, I kind of like twelve hours a day, and it's it's you know it's a lot of it is me on send. Obviously, there's group activities and there's lots of break offs and there's break lunch and the break in the morning and the afternoon and whatnot. But I do, I'm I'm, I'm pretty much on send for twelve hours, um, and then obviously you get all the questions. And then because I'm quite sociable at Lillyshall, the the course will go for a couple of drinks at night, so I'll join them in the bar and have three or four beers, which then means I don't get the right sleep that yeah. I need. I know the science behind this, but it's not, you know, I'm still <laughs> doing this. It's the do as I say, not as I do sort yeah. of thing. And then I did that for like two and a half weeks. And at the end of it, I just broke. And uh, I, 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 I remember for the last three days of the course, I was just limping over the line. Um, and then obviously on the last night of the course you have last night madness everyone gets, gets drunk once again you know what I should have done is took myself off the bed you yeah. know but I stay up and you know I've got that Manx gene that Manx yeah. gene that means that you've got to be the last person at any social event yeah you can't leave <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> and, and then eventually I just got burnout and um, and it was a big wake up call for me really because I realised actually you know, just because you care and love about what you do, it doesn't prevent you from you know burning yourself out. And it took me it took me a good while to recover. It took me about a, a week to get any sort of resemblance of any energy level that I could just do basic functional things like answer emails. For nearly a week, I was pretty much polaxed. Mm. Um, I, I still have to manage it now because because I do love what I do so much. I will you know really slaughter myself um, because I'm so passionate about what I do and occasionally i get bit back and i get reminded um and i have to take a step back um but it's 
I think it's going to it's something that's going to become more and more prevalent over the next ten years as the work structure tempo continually increases in businesses. Um, I think that you know humans you know will be like matches that just are burnt, and mm-hmm. it's very difficult to really understand what it's like to be burnout unless you've had burnout. Um, uh, it's a very unusual feeling when you're quite energetic like me to not be able to get out of bed even though you've slept and you've slept and you slept and you slept and I'm like I'm still I still cannot get out of bed Um, and you have this like uh, impending doom of just not being able to even open your laptop you know because you think well even if I was polaxed in my bed I could still open my laptop and and answer email I couldn't for some reason I couldn't even bring myself to look at emails Um, and I, I all I'd done is I'd I'd overcooked my nervous system. I just pushed it too hard, and if you push it too hard, it'll eventually it'll push back. You're right. I think it. My my panic attack started through my nervous system. I th- I think it was to do with that. I think I put I did push myself. I might have burnt myself out a little bit. Might have been to do with the relationship that I was in, and and obviously it was a really negative time. And then a little bit of negativity around me, and I think I just felt like I was really run down. Yeah. Like I felt like I had the flu, but I didn't have the flu. Yep. And and then obviously that's when the panic attack hit, and it was like I think that was to do with my nervous system, just saying to my saying to me, look, you know, you played a lot of football, you've gymmed a lot recently, yep. like you're not going through a great stage, like with the relationship. I think it just hit, I think it just hit me and just said, you've had enough, mate. Our our nervous system was not designed to live the way we live. That that that's fundamentally the problem with the whole of our world. Nearly, um, it, it was not designed to do what it does today. So, if you think about evolution, that's taken our species millions of years, and then specifically our sp- Homo sapiens, the last two hundred thousand years. So we've so we've we've evolved out of other Homo species. Um, of, of which there's been about four million year, years of development from when we broke off from from the apes, and all of that four million years, and then the two hundred thousand years up until around about ten thousand years ago, um, we we were hunter gatherers, um, and our our nervous system was designed to for a specific reason to keep us alive. So if if a predator came, you know, if I noticed there was a predator. I've got three responses. I can freeze, I can run, or I can fight. They're the only three that I've got. Um, and straight away, you know, our best defense is always our freeze, uh, which is why you do the one thing that makes no sense when you walk out in front of a car. You, you look at it and pull a stupid face. <laughs> um, because over time, we evolutionary programmed that freeze was our best defense because we're, we're not very good at running, we're not very strong, so we can't fight off many predators, and we can't outrun many either. Yeah. So we go still. Now, what we have now is a very highly adaptive nervous system that was designed over millions if not you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of years perhaps to really be a very adaptive system to get us out of trouble so uh, we either freeze we run or we hide um, and all of our everything that happens when we go into our freeze flight and fight is is triggered by our sympathetic nervous system and when it slows down the parasympathetic nervous system so so if if a lion, if we go back 10,000 years and we're on the African savannas and and for whatever reason, we mean you nearly get eaten by a lion, but we don't. We manage to escape it for whatever reason. 
once we've escaped, we've had the best day ever. We're high five and we've got a great story for the tribe and we go back. But our nervous system, you know, will be full of adrenaline, full of cortisol, full of all of the stuff, full of noradrenaline, all the stuff it needed to get away. And it would take a little bit of time to flush out, but then it'd flush itself out and we'd go back. We don't have any lions anymore, as, which is you know, self-evident in our society. We don't have any predators that are hunting us. But what we do have is low-level, constant stress, which pushes us into our sympathetic nervous system. So we've always got cortisol flushing around our body. We've always kind of alert when you add coffee to that and don't get the right sleep. And I, I personally think... Um, and whether or not the science is settled on this, but this is just observational more than anything, that the reason why there's so much problem with anxiety and and stress and things like that is because all our nervous systems were not designed to function the way they are today. And what we're doing is we're asking them to perform in a different way than what they were evolved to perform. Uh, they were evolved as a spike and then relaxed system. You know, spike when there was a predator there, if you got eaten, well, it didn't matter anyway because it was game over. Yeah. But if you didn't, it relaxed and you could go back. Um, but we live in this like world of constant stress. It's not at the high level of a lion chasing you where everything is, you know, at its most heightened state. But it's at a level where it's just tipping us out of homeostasis and into our sympathetic nervous system. And if we stay in that sympathetic nervous system for too long over two you know for months and months and months perhaps and then add bearing in mind that we don't have a different nerve we don't have a different stress response for for emotional stress so for instance a breakup with a girlfriend we don't have a different response to that than we do for a lion chasing us it's the same response so whether we perceive a stress or whether we actually have stress so whether we worry about something that's coming it creates the same response as it actually coming for us to get us. Um, and over weeks, months, perhaps even years, you just get that chronic fatigue of the nervous system. And eventually that manifests into panic attacks or depression or your body just says enough's enough. We, we, That's what I felt like. <clears throat> it felt like chronic fatigue. Yeah, it, it really didn't. It was only when I sort of lay down and I, I said to my body, right, just, you know, there you go. Like I'm done. That's when it hit. When I lay down, yep. that's when it spiked completely. And it very much felt like, you know, when you're a kid getting chased by the police. Yeah. When you're running. Yep. Like, it felt like that. It was like, oh, my God. Like, I feel invincible. Yeah. But it was also, like, it it was that out of hand that you couldn't really control it. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a scary thing. Hand, hands down, the scariest thing I've ever, you know, experienced. Yeah. And obviously, I've dealt, I've dealt with it by slow my nervous system down by doing like breathing yep that's a technique i've learned is is to push out more than you you take in yep which has really worked for me yeah breath work's amazing i'm such a massive advocate of breath work yeah, yeah. whether it be box breathing uh holotropic breathing whether it be obviously wim hof method which has oh, big words yeah, yeah, yeah remember we're not all we're not all coaches like you well well i mean a lot of them are very simple techniques like box breathing so the, the, most people that know me know that I'm a huge advocate of breath work. You know, I, I've been doing since I got chronic, since I got not chronic fatigue, since I got mild <clears> burnout. I think that's what I got self diagnosed mild burnout. I, I got into doing, I, I stumbled across the Wim Hof method, um, seen it on YouTube. No one else was doing it at this point. It, it was unheard of a little bit. I found this crazy Dutch guy on YouTube. Um, 
and you know what? I thought, you know what? I'll give this a go, you know, and, and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the breath work and also the cold water stuff. But the breath work especially, I just found so unbelievable. Um, you know, the, I, I'd, I'd always had a go at mindfulness and uh, obviously Mike Cooley over here, great guy. Yeah, and, and, I, and I know that like, what my brain used, to, what my brain would often do when I tried to do mindfulness, it would run off a thousand miles Same. an hour. Mm-hmm. And I know that the point, and I, I know I can almost hear Mike saying it, is that the point of mindfulness is to let it run and then bring it back gently, and then yeah. to constantly bring it back. When I first practiced the breath work, I'd found something that I didn't have to try to quiet my mind. It just happened during the breath work, I, and and I don't know whether it was because I was putting my focus of attention into the breath work. Um, but my brain would just be completely almost like flatlined. It just was a serene experience of non-activity of the mind that I'd never been able to find in anything else. Um, And then when I got into getting into the cold water as well, and I realized that that just almost perpetuated that. So the breath work and then the cold, being in the cold water, where the only thing you're thinking about is, is, is that water, you know, and... But, you, you, but it's like it, it's going back to nervous system it's like when you're in that cold water like the, the RSC it's like you're just surviving yes yes literally but the, the interesting thing about it though is it's it's I often talk to people about the lens of their mind so the lens what I mean by that is that the me and you can have two identical experiences um, and depending on what our lens is you know depending on the way we perceive this experience as it comes into our awareness I might interpret it as being an amazing thing and you might interpret it as being the worst, most stressful thing that you've ever done. So we have the same external event, but it has completely polarized effects on us as humans. And one of the things that I loved about the cold stuff was uh, this idea of choosing your response to this very harsh environment. So when I go into the cold water, you can go one of two ways. You can either make loads of weird noises and pant, which is pretty much what happens on New Year's Day, you know, across the whole yeah. Alabama. People run in and it sounds like this like huge beach massacre where people are screaming <laughs> and then they're in and out. Or you can go in and make peace with that environment and accept you're in cold water and and it has a transformational effect on your experience of it. It completely changes it. Suddenly you're not freaking out by how cold it is you're actually um, making, I don't want to sound too spiritual, but you're making peace with your environment. We're going back to that animalistic strength that we all have. Um, I think the biggest addiction that haunts humans is comfort. Um, We're addicted to comfort. We we warm rooms up when we're too cold. We cool them out down when we're too hot. We, we put a coat on, we run to the car, you know, as soon as we're in the car, we heat our seats and we, you know, we're, we're, we're addicted to comfort and going in the Irish Sea in the winter is, is not comfortable. Um, it, it's, it's a father's way, but I tell you what, it doesn't half build your resolve, your strength, your mindset. It just, I can't really see any drawbacks or negatives with it. Uh, and obviously now on the Isle of Man, there's uh, Ian who's a Wim Hof instructor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'd say to anyone listening to this podcast, go along to one of his workshops and, and it's very alien for people to put themselves in cold water. Most people, are, I think, are very intimidated by the idea. And, I am. And, and quite rightly so. But if you can get over that and if you can if you can have that kind of resolve of mindset to go past that, on the other side of that discomfort is 
absolute another world of mental strength. Okay, you, you, I should I should get commission for Ian. Yeah, do you know what you? you I've I've done a little bit with Ian. I've obviously I've done the breath work with Ian. Yeah, um, I did it with him and Mandy Kane. Mandy Kane did a bit of sound therapy with it as well. Okay, yeah. First time I've ever done it. Yeah, and obviously I've seen uh, you, Fino, uh, Danny Roberts do yeah. it. I've seen yeah. Danny Roberts like he, you know, he's like he'll just go and run and sit in the sea. Like it, it he makes it look amazingly normal. Is, is, has Danny ever told you about the first time he did it though? With me, he has told me the story. He, but go on, go on. The, the noises Danny Roberts made was hilarious. He was, <laughs> he was, he was yelping. Um, now I'm, I'm going to say like a little girl. Now I don't mean that in a sexist way, but he was making noises that sounded like a, not like a pro boxer. <laughs> and and he did not want to be in that water. And he and I thought he was going to go for me at one point. He was getting like pretty. He he he, he was not enjoying the experience at all. Um, and it took him a couple of goes yeah. until he finally figured out and obviously now you've seen like the way he does it now yeah man, it's it, very yeah. very quickly you get used to it and then once you're used to it it becomes so easy um and i like to see with danny like i mean I'm, i've seen danny you know he does the waterfalls and he does all over um it, 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 it it's it's just on the other side of discomfort that 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 thing that danny's in now and you know all the guys that do it you know ian will be probably you know some of the stuff he's actually done with Wim will be incredible but on the other side of comfort, if you can get through that sort of your own comfort bubble, um, you quickly realise, actually, well, th- think about evolution. We've not had central heating and, and air conditioning and lovely clothes. We've not had it for that long, you know, for a few thousand years. So before that, you know, we were literally, we were out in the elements with the animals so falling in the water, you know, would have been something that humans would have had to dealt with at some point. Um, like that, bathing and stuff. Yeah. Like they and, would have had to, wouldn't they? And, and, and I think that you, one of my favourite phrases is irritated oysters make pearls. Um, and and you have to, you have to, to get, people want resilience. People And resilience is kind of a huge buzzword at the minute. But, what I believe is the only way you can create resilience is with controlled adversity. Yeah. So the only way that you can create a resilient person is by giving them adversity for them to deal with and mm-hmm. then having them come out the other side of it and then they build their resilience from dealing with that adversity. So if you shield people from adversity, if you shelter them and take that adversity away, don't be surprised if they're not resilient people and the first time they're met with challenges that they fold really easily. Um, you know, if you go back to like my background in the Marines, the whole point of that 30 weeks of training of all of that adversity is to develop resilience in the yeah. soldiers. Um, if you don't do all of that adversity, you don't have the resilience then to be a Royal Marine at the end of it. So it's that's why they make it that tough. And of course, they try and break you. Of so course, it make it, you become ready. Yes. When yeah. you need the resilience. Yeah. Yeah. And but if you've never had that at all, um, if you've been sheltered from that completely, how are you ever going to have that resilience levels if you if you, if you've just never had the experience of having adversity yeah. to deal with? It's very true, and I, I I see it more and more in in school when I go in school. I see it more and more these days. Like kids just don't have it and they can't build it because they're sat behind a screen and and they're you know they're playing games. And I always refer back to you know maybe my generation, me, Danny, people Art and Craig Murphy. Like we were out every every night and we were egging people's houses and running away. Mm. You know, apologies for that, but 
<laughs> any any houses in particular? Do you want to do you want to apologise no, no, any particular no, no, streets? Gonna, <laughs> no, there's a lot of houses around. I'm not going to mention any. Um, but you know, we were playing with with bigger lads. Yeah, and playing football, and you know, we were getting beat every every night, and it was it was it was teaching us how to you know lose. Yep, and it was teaching us how to come back and what we need to do to be a bit stronger. That was teaching us resilience, I think, and you just don't see that now. Like, there's no there's no kids trying to. No, but then, I suppose whose responsibility is that? Is it parents, schools? You know, you could kind of go around the circles of this. I mean, yeah. my, my 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 eldest daughter, she she comes out in the sea with me, so she's she's ten wow. years old and she gets in the sea, um, and she she's you know. She she started off and she'd be she I think she started doing it just because she what she's a proper daddy's girl I think she just wanted to make me happy <laughs> yeah. so she's seen that I was getting in the sea and thought oh I'll jump in and but what's happened is that she's now really good you know I've done videos of her Dan you know uh, beaches that, all around the island where we've gone and jumped in the sea together and had to swim around and and there's it's only a minute or two you know it's only two or three minutes but what you get is that adversity mm. but then that sense of achievement that comes out of adversity is yeah, incredible I was say that, yeah. you know at the end of it when she's drying herself off and and we've had this experience together and she can show her friends a video of her swimming in the sea and you know and then you know you might i might stick it on like social media and people are, like freaked out because there's a 10 year old out in the sea in in cold water but actually the what comes out the back of that is this huge sense of achievement for her because she's dealt with something that's very um adverse you know it's very very out of her comfort zone and that will teach her a lesson for life for sure for yeah. sure wow that's incredible might just i might get grace and chuck him in the sea yeah. see how he fancies it he's only nine but i'm sure he's up for it i have to wonder like like what would social services see with with like 10 year old with, right. with my like swimming right. around the sea i'll go down one of the beaches that you, you you know down one of them what's that one in laxey you get to go down lovely little beach down there is it Dune Beach? Dune, maybe, yeah, yeah. Dune. I was going from in there. Yeah. Hope he can swim anyway. I know that. I know that much. Sorry, we're going off topic here. Um, Talking about chucking our kids in cold water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, I've done, like I was saying, I've, I've done the breath work with Kirky. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Ian and um, Mandy. Yeah. And do you know what? I've, I've never had an experience like it in my life. Like, I lay there and I was doing the breathing. I think we did four rounds. Yeah. And it came to the last round and... You know, when you've when you've done your however many breaths it is, like ten, whatever it is. Yeah. Mandy was hitting a chime, and I remember I was having like an outer body experience towards the end. Yeah, yeah. I was lost. Yeah. And as soon as the chime came off, it was like someone grabbed me and dragged me back down into the the body yep. on the floor. It was incredibly like I can't get my head around it to this day. I yep. just felt like I was away from my body. Yeah. And yep. then suddenly the chime would go off in the background, and I just like jump back in yep yeah it was insane yeah i i i i love it i absolutely i think it's phenomenal and uh, you know i i often do like 10 rounds i do an hour of the breath work wow really um and and that's like that's like 50 55 minutes maybe an hour nearly um but but a long time but you know it, obviously you need to have the spare time to do it and it's yeah. it's you know it's not something i do every day i haven't got an hour to do every day but um if i've got you know a sunday afternoon um and you know i've, I've I'm away in the UK. I haven't got my girls because I travel so much as well. Yeah. I often, in, when I'm in a hotel room, get my Bose speaker out and and I just obviously grab the Wim Hof stuff off YouTube and and uh, and then just lay down on the floor, put a pillow under my head, and then just do an hour of breath work. Um, the re the reason why I I love it so much as well because a lot of people I coach, the big thing is is of, often stress is is kind of what we've been talking about. Well, actually, 
15 minutes of breath work, you know, three or four rounds of the Wim Hof method, and you're out of your sympathetic nervous system and you're into parasympathetic. So stress is just your body out of homeostasis in your sympathetic nervous system. That's all it is. Yeah. You know? So it's, you know, the perception of each stressor can be different. You know, going to the gym is stress because it's taking your body out of homeostasis. So if you finish at the end of a really hard day, you know, some of my corporate clients, you know, under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress that they deal with, and I say to them, well, this is only 15 minutes. 15 minutes at the end of the day, you lay down, you know, put it on YouTube, lay on the floor, 15 minutes of breath work, and that's you in your parasympathetic nervous system, completely out of your stress response, and then you properly unwound um, as opposed to like reaching for a bottle of wine and then using that to unwind, yeah. which is what pe- people yeah. often do. Actually, you don't need to do that. They just need 15 minutes of breath work, and then that's it. You're completely out of that stress response. Um, and for some of my clients, that's revolutionary, that. The ability the ability to come out of stress. I think it'd be huge. And I, I, I'd i say to everyone listening, if you've never seen or heard of Wim Hof, please YouTube him because yep. he is an absolute lunatic. Yeah. The man is a lunatic, yeah. simple as that. Is it Well, the Iceman, he, yeah. he's got the record for underwater ice swimming like 100 meters or something crazy isn't it, is it yeah um, he's like eyes froze over or something when he was doing it but he, cl- he climbed everest in a pair of shorts this Stop is how it. this is how i first got onto him because my job in the RAF was an outdoor instructor so i used to take people mountaineering you know i'd go to the alps and stuff like that so i'd kind of be really i'd have a deep understanding of hypothermia cold weather injuries and and working you know in that sort of environment and then i found this guy that that had said he climbed Kilimanjaro in the short and then, then then it, then I found he climbed Everest but he didn't get quite to the summit of Everest he got he got just beneath the summit so he's still you know 8,000 metres up in the, in the death zone in a pair of shorts and yeah. a, and and, a, and obviously a pair of boots with some crampons on so he's got he's got traction and that that I didn't believe it yeah. because it, because it, it went against everything that I know about cold mm-hmm. weather injuries and I refused to believe it and then I, I started doing some research and some study and then I was like oh my god this guy actually did this yeah um and and what really blew me away was that the message that he that I was hearing that he was saying was anybody can do this anyone yeah. can do this I'm not a superman anyone can do this and that was you know three years ago or whenever it was I started it that was I thought, well, if anyone could do it, then in the spirit of NLP, well, I just need to copy what he does, yeah. um, and and it, and it's true. I mean, I, I I don't do so much of the really cold stuff now, but and I've gone, I've kind of got out of the comp- competitive element. I think the pro- one of the problems with, that can happen with the Wim Hof method, I'm sure Ian would agree with this, is that it can get quite competitive. You know, how long can you hold your breath for, and yeah. how long can you stay in this? But I, I got up to the point where I was, you know, able to do over half an hour easily in a bath full of cold water with ice and I'd just be doing the breath work and I and I and I it would defy all logic because I'd be worried, you know, you know, you should be hypothermic. Now what I'm not advocating at all is for people to go out and get into a bath of cold water. It took me months and months and months of practicing mm-hmm. what Wim was doing. But 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 actually I realised well, you know, he's right in what he's saying is he's yeah. absolutely true. And it was a revelation for me because it gave me something that I could do wherever I am in the world. Um, I and no matter how stressed I am, and no matter how much work I've got on, I could do fifteen minutes of breath work and then you know have a really cold shower. Um, uh, which for for some people it's like, why would I want to get a cold shower? The benefits from getting a cold shower far outweigh the discomfort for two or three minutes of cold water. Yeah. If nobody's you know, or if anybody's interested, by the way, we'll we'll 
we'll plug Ian Ianson while we're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if anyone's interested, please give give Ian um, Ian Ianson um, a message on Facebook. Um, he's a qualified instructor now with yeah, yeah. for Wim Hof. So he he does classes and stuff around cold water and around breathing. Really nice guy. Yeah, super yeah. chilled out. Like, please get in contact with him if you're interested in doing this because it'll be life changing, as you put it. Without doubt, and whether you're man, woman, young, old, businessman, you know, entrepreneur, uh, work as a chef, work in a hotel, it doesn't matter. You know, anyone can benefit from breath work and cold water, cold water stuff. Um, anybody. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give it a go soon. He keeps trying to get me there. Do it. Do yeah, it. we'll do. We'll do. Right, talk to me about um, you're back. You're back here. So yep. you've told us about NLP, um, what it what it does, what the benefits are, why why you do it. Yep. So you've set PQ Performance up over here. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you do with PQ Performance? I, I do a little bit of corporate work. Not 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 a huge amount. I've got a few corporate clients over here. Um, uh, uh, I haven't really pursued corporate work. Uh, very. Uh, Actively, it's more sort of ongoing relationships I had for my last business. I've I've kind of continued them, um, uh, but the main the main focus has been about um, setting a business up on the Isle of Man because my two daughters are here, so it allows me to get back and see them, which is primarily the function of it, um, and and also because the rest of my family are over here, it seemed it seemed logical to set it up over here, um, and after spending probably most of my adult life in the military or then with Pronoctus, which was based in London. Um, it just seemed like a right time to bring the business back here and um, and set set a business up here that will put down some roots that will enable me to always be able to get back and, and see my two girls, which is really, really, as I say, absolutely vital to me. Um, most of the training that I do is in Barcelona. So we I use a villa um, uh, and people come and stay out in Barcelona all my courses that are out in Barcelona are fully inclusive so it's it's really just get yourself to the start line and everything else is taken care of then all the food all the accommodation we use an amazing villa um so because m most of my work was in Barcelona it didn't make sense to set the business up in the in in England or in the UK because most of the stuff I do is is over there <coughs> anyway um so I think what will happen with PQ performance is that business now is it's only very it's a fledgling business, only six months old, seven months old, and it's it's the performance of it already has been phenomenal. Um, and I want to grow that business, but I've actually got two businesses that are getting built in the background that are coming on the back of that. Um, one of which is a, an amazing project working with politicians in the UK. So I spend a fair amount of time now talking to uh, Labour politicians specifically, but it's going to be cross-party this, and it's about setting up training and coaching, which is basically just a company dedicated wholly just to politicians um and then i'm setting up an, another business called agoji which is uh which is really going to be my focus in 2021 20, 2022 uh, and that's doing um high-end stress and burnout uh, retreats so using barcelona but instead of doing nlp which is kind of like what people come and learn this is more for clients that have got to the point where they're burnt out stressed out um, and a lot of my corporate clients in the UK that I did work with were Pronoctis um, so for instance one of the leading banks that, that we worked with they would have a six month policy for people off with stress so people would be off fully paid for six months if they had like stress or burnout or anxiety or things connected to that mental health well what I what I'm proposing to these companies is actually we could be a safety net before there where you know they come away for 
seven days they do an intense retreat where we look at every facet of their life from from diet to sleep to coaching um i've got psychologists involved with it um the coaches are all ex special forces guys um that are just brilliant at coaching they've all studied nlp and hypnosis they're all colleagues of mine um and then after that we have a support coach function for these guys so we support them for the next four months afterwards um and that's going to be hugely more cost effective than say well, for yeah, instance, of course someone being off for six months who's who's you know salary could be two three hundred thousand pound a year salary well, that's a huge amount of money to be paying someone to be at home for half a year so if you can prevent that at the very last hurdle mm. um so i'm so busy at the minute you know solidifying pq performance getting that to a position where it's completely functional up and running i've got other guys around me that are going to come in and start delivering the training that i currently deliver um, but then straight off the back of that, I'm going to be almost straight into tank thinking, which is the politician business, and then Agoji, which is the other one. And we just bought all of the websites and we're building all of them in the background and creating all of the training that goes with them. Um, and it's it's hugely exciting. It's, yeah, I've seen the website. I, I've seen it the other day up at the office. It, the new PQ performance yeah, one. Yeah, it's man, it's phenomenal. so needed because it it just explains everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's what people want with a website. It's so clean. Yeah. You just go on, you click what you want to see, NLP, tell me what it's about, tells you. Yeah. And yeah. there's you know, there's testimonials there, which yeah. is great. I I've I've heard from so many people that, that you've worked with that you know how it's helped them. Yeah. So getting it out to the public. The only thing I worry about for you is I think the other man is massively in need of this. So what happens if it just suddenly goes boom and says right phil you need to sort everyone out but you're not here you're you obviously think, you've got guys over here that are going to take the yeah the role and yeah and i think there's you know there's there's, there's different people in the business that were you know that are developing now um, and becoming coaches themselves so mm-hmm. you know i've, I've li- this year i launched my mentorship program where i'm actually yeah. mentoring 10 or 12 coaches um it, and albeit a lot of them are in the uk um but i think i think the point will come where you know we set up pq performance where we have I think there'll be six, six or eight deliveries within that one business that are all delivering to the same standard as what I do and all doing the same sort of thing as what I do, albeit putting their own um, individual spin on it. Mm. Um, and I think that 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 would be fine. And I think the the you know the if if there is a need, then we'll fulfil the need from our side. So we'll find the solution, you know, for that for that challenge. If 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 if, if there's lots of stuff on the Alaman and we we think well actually we're going to need more people. I can bring people from the UK over, you know, that, that are phenomenal at what they do. Um, so I think that that that's not going to be the challenge. Um, uh, it, it, I think the next 18 months for us as a business is going to be fascinating. Um, I think most of what we do is going to be out in Barcelona still. Um, obviously, there's a bit now in Dubai. There's a bit uh, in UK and we've got one course in Dublin next year. Um, and, and, and I think we'll always do courses on the Alaman now we'll always do the courses that we run in Barcelona and Dubai will run on the Alaman. Um, how frequently they, they will be dictated by the, how much um, need for the courses or how much yeah. desire for people to attend the course. Um, you kind of supply and demand, isn't it? So if there's the demand for the course and we'll absolutely supply them. Um, I think I'd rather go to Barcelona though. Well, that, that is the thing. Yeah. So Barcelona is amazing. Yeah. I've, I've seen the villa. I've seen the new. It's a new villa, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it yeah. looks incredible. Like it really does. And it, just so people are aware, like it, you don't have to go on the course over here. You can absolutely, you can absolutely go to 
Barcelona. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Can, you can apply for that and, but, go, and go on that. Well, we're kind of having like a Manx invasion in Barcelona, if I'm honest with you. So it's it's great, but there's, there seems to be more and more people coming from the Isle of Man to Barcelona for the for the course, which is which is phenomenal. Um, uh, certainly not something that I I I ever expected. I didn't, you know the. It's kind of weird, if I'm honest with you, Hutch. I never, when I got into all of this, you know, it's out of the back of the military, and I started doing it. I never really expected it to get to where it is now. It's 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 been a very surprising but welcome success. Um, and now that we're in this kind of really amazing place where lots of people from the Isle of Man are coming out to Barcelona, and because they come out and they they do have a great experience on the course, they come back and they tell a lot of. The, their friends and the Isle of Man is kind of like that incubator environment that if it's good then people talk about it if oh, it's 100%. bad if it's bad <laughs> people talk yeah. about it but but thankfully at the minute it, it's it's kind of really good feedback that we're getting and that then creates more people that want to come and I think that's reflected in our in like our one day courses when we get you know 30 40 50 people coming for a one day course now yeah which is which is brilliant no it's huge and I, you know why why if you want to get away for, for a week and you want to learn about yourself and you want to learn about what this can do for you, then yep. it could be the perfect place. Yeah. But yeah, be on your website, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're gonna have to wrap this up, mate. Yeah, yeah. That um before you go, give us give us give us three tips, main tips for everyone listening that can go away and say, Right, this can I can work on my mental health with these three tips. Okay. Okay. So like, the first two are connected. Um so sleep and alcohol. So so you cannot underestimate the importance of sleep um uh the and in fact i'll just give people rather than talk about all the science behind it just go onto youtube and put professor matthew walker ted talk and watch 15 minutes of probably one of the world's leading experts in sleep and if you like what you see on youtube buy his book why we sleep a phenomenal book sleep is nature's best effort at immortality as matthew walker says um and the the right sleep will make you nearly invincible as everyone kind of knows um now, this number two is connected to that, alcohol. I love a beer and I love a wine. Everyone that knows me knows I, <laughs> I probably love it too much. But you have to understand that when you drink, you don't get the right sleep. You don't get the NREM sleep, as well as when you take sleeping tablets. They're kind of like blunt instruments. You're asleep, your eyes are closed, but you're not getting the correct sleep. So so, so it's understanding that the, the sleep and alcohol are connected that's why when you get drunk you might sleep all the way through the night but the next night next day you're absolutely knackered because you haven't got that brilliant NREM and part of the the REM sleep so alcohol and sleep are the first one and then the third one is finding activities that take you out of your stress response now for some people that's going to the gym for others it's reading a book for me it's like swimming in cold water and doing breath work it doesn't really matter what your thing is as long as you find your thing that thing that that, that evaporates all of the stresses when you're doing it you're not worried about you know what you need to be doing or job deadlines or you know mortgage repayments or you know relationship challenges that one thing that when you do it, it you just live it in the moment um everyone should have that thing um, and for everyone it's different whether it be playing chess you know swimming in cold water playing football horse riding going for a walk reading a book everybody should have that one thing that they know is their 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 ace that they've got in their pocket that they can go and do if all else has fallen down around them wow you blow my mind a little bit you know i'm I'm super happy you came in because i i think this is going to be huge for people and 
I can't thank you enough for, for obviously giving up your time as well for us because I know you're a, you're a busy guy these days. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's been brilliant. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for inviting me in. No problem at all. Right, people, um, obviously Phil's website, uh, PQ Performance, will be live in the next day. Yeah, or yeah. the next day, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so by the time this comes out, you'll probably be able to go and have a look on it, but I'd recommend please do go and have a look on it and then, you know, check out the courses. They're all going to be there and, you know, available to, to book through there. Um, I'm just going to say before we go, obviously, I reiterate what we said at the start. We're not we're not a crisis team here at Reach. Um, so if you get in contact with us and you know we don't get back to you straight away, then don't be alarmed. If there is an emergency that you need to get in touch with someone quickly, call the crisis team. Uh, that's what we, that's what we always say. And uh, the crisis team number six four two eight six zero. Well, thank you for listening, and um, please give us some feedback when you when you do hear this because this is a good one. Take care.